Good morning, Tri-Valley. This is Jacob. I am one of the ministers here. I'm not with you this morning because I'm up at Shenandoah West on the Tri-Valley Men's Retreat, and I'd love to be there with you, but I'm glad that you guys are gathering together and singing and worshiping. And I just wanted to share a few thoughts with you from Ephesians chapter 6 this morning, and then we're going to lead into a time of prayer. I want to read these scriptures for us one more time that we heard earlier in our worship service. This is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17. Paul writes this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's taken for granted here that there are unseen forces in the world that are at work against God's purposes. Biblical authors refer to these unseen forces as Satan, uh, the devil, sometimes it's called the adversary, the opponent. Some people today refer to them as uh, just the enemy. But here, Paul describes them as against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You may have experienced these forces in your own life, uh, even if you don't attribute them to the devil or a picture in your mind of a guy in a red suit with horns and a pitchfork. Um, but these are the same forces that keep you from praying. These are the forces in your life that keep you from apologizing. The forces that you just can't seem to overcome, even when you know that you should. These are the forces that you realize have subtly been at work in your life when you wake up one day and realize that your priorities are out of whack. A lot of times these forces manifest themselves in the form of many of the isms that you might recognize in our world today. Workaholism, materialism, nationalism, secular humanism. It might take the form in a recurring temptation, it might show up as spiritual laziness or even allegiance to anything else that is not Jesus Christ. I'll give you a personal illustration from my life. The force of evil that's attacked me most of all is one that happens in my marriage. Last week, we were looking at Ephesians 5 and the first part of 6 where Paul talks about how husbands ought to love their wives just as Christ loves the church. You're supposed to care for your wife, lay down your own life, and treat your wife just as well as you treat your own self. But I have to confess, I don't always do this. In my marriage with Lisa, if I get my feelings hurt or it seems like Lisa starts giving more attention to the kids or some of her other responsibilities, then I feel this sense of resentment settling in. And if I'm honest, sometimes I go with it. Sometimes I let that resentment settle in. And then I start behaving badly. I'll start to ignore her. I'll become very distant. You know, I'll still do the things that a husband ought to do. I still contribute around the house and, and do the things that are needed, but I give her the bare minimum and I get really, really quiet. This is one of my uh, negative 
coping mechanisms that Lisa's very familiar with, and I'm also very familiar with it. And this is how it usually goes for a while, and then we'll apologize, and we'll talk about it, we'll point out that something's not all right, and then things are good again. But it feels like a battle that I just keep on losing. It's the same thing over and over again. It's like maybe you've seen a sporting event where one team figures out the defensive strategy of the other team, and once they figure that out, they start exploiting it, and they score point after point after point. And the other team goes, man, what's happening? It's like we can't stop these guys. Well, that's how I feel sometimes against these forces of evil that work against me in my marriage. And I have to ask myself, why does this keep happening? Well, a couple thoughts on the why. Um, one is that the forces of evil are real. And I have to realize that I'm up against something that is very strong and I believe very intentional about working against the will of God in my life. Another thing that I need to realize is that I typically start trying to fix things on my own. I start relying on Jacob's own power to fix things or to solve a problem and I fail again and again and again. Well, Paul tells us here that this is a spiritual battle that's going on. And certainly, we should contribute to doing our part, to trying to be faithful and to, to be ready and to respond in faithful ways. But a lot of times, we end up fighting spiritual battles with physical weapons. And so we can't make the mistake when we read this section of thinking it as a self-help document. This is not just how Jacob can fix Jacob or how Jacob can be a better husband. This isn't self-help. This is God-help. We stand firm wearing the full armor of God against the devil's schemes. And when the day of evil comes, when the attack happens, we are ready. And we're not going to fail. Not because we're relying on ourselves, but because we're relying on the power of God. And these spiritual weapons that we equip ourselves with are called God's armor. And there's a couple reasons for that. One is because it's the armor that comes from God. It's the armor that God gives us so that we can endure under spiritual attacks. But it's also called God's armor... And this is one that we don't think about quite as often because it's God's armor. It's the armor that God himself wears when he goes into spiritual battle. I want to point out a verse that illustrates this. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 59. We may have heard these verses a lot growing up. You may have heard this section before. And it's, it's, a, it's a great visual image of, of the armor of God and what it looks like. But did you know that it comes from the prophet Isaiah, at least part of it? Listen to what Isaiah says in chapter 59. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. And so his own arm achieve salvation for him, and his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate, and the helmet of salvation on his head. Sound familiar? And he put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. So we have to realize that the armor of God is more than just a cutesy VBS way of describing alertness. It's talking about tapping into the very powerful force of God that is available to us right now. It's kind of the opposite of young David when he went out to fight Goliath. You might remember this story. King Saul said, you need to wear my armor. And David tried it on and he could barely move. And he said, no, 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 I got to fight this battle my own way. It's different than that. This would be us taking on God's armor. We might say, wow, this is, this is God's helmet of salvation. This is God's breastplate of righteousness. It's too big for us. We couldn't possibly wear this. But that's what Paul is calling us to do here. 
we become like God. We tap into these characteristics of God and we wear his armor. It's us having access to the king's gear and realizing we won't win the battle without it. So the word that's used for armor in this passage is the Greek word panoplia, and it's translated as the full armor of God. And I want to focus a little bit on that word full, because I think it's important. The idea here is that it's a package deal, and you prepare yourself fully before you go into battle. You don't just put on the helmet and say, close enough, or just one element of this armor, but you have to gear up with the whole thing. It kind of reminds me of last fall, a group of people from this church were painting the trim uh, on the outside of the building here. And early in the morning, right as we were getting started, we discovered that there was a nest of angry yellow jackets who did not want to be disturbed and they did not want to let us paint the trim uh, in the section near where they lived. Uh, some people got stung and we tried to figure out, man, what are we going to do? Are we just going to leave that section unpainted? And then Greg Brown said, you know what, I'm gearing up and I'm going in. And then he proceeded to make a homemade beekeeper's suit with elements and items that he found in the Family Life Center. Plastic bags, masking tape, uh, he covered his whole head with a plastic bag, he poked out two eye holes so that he could see, and then put a Starbucks straw uh, in through the mouth hole so that he could breathe, and then he went and he attacked the bees. He went into battle against these yellow jackets, and the trim got painted. So it was a victory for the Tri-Valley painters that day. But you'll notice in the video that Greg made sure to cover every part of his body that was exposed because one gap could have meant a very painful bee sting. So he didn't just wrap up his head. He didn't just cover his hands or his ankle. He covered up everything. He was fully geared up. And similarly, the instructions that were given here by Paul is to put on the full armor of God. You don't want to be half equipped when you go into battle. You put on the whole thing. So there were plenty of these Roman guards around in Paul's time. So this image would have been a good one that people would have been familiar with. They could tap into and say, yeah, I know what that looks like. Oh, so you see these guards? Yeah, in the same way that they're armored up, you need to be armored up with spiritual armor. When you think of a Roman soldier, you might think of uh, just one guy fully equipped, standing on the street corner and making sure that he keeps peace in the region. But remember, soldiers were typically deployed and functioned together as a unit. In battle, there was this formation called the Roman tortoise, where soldiers would arrange themselves in a tight group with those standing on the edges, arranging their shields outward with no gaps in between. And those who were in the middle of the formation would stand with their shields facing up toward the sky. And it kind of looked like a tortoise shell, and they would move together in that formation. In other words, they would go together, just like we, as a body of Christ, are supposed to go together with the full armor of God on. Some people point out how most of these things that are mentioned here uh, in this armor of God section are defensive weapons, so that we should think of them as protection against the enemy or against these spiritual forces of evil. Some people might think of it like a seatbelt. It's something that you put on, but you may never have to use. It's a just-in-case sort of thing. But I don't think we should think about it like that. I think that that image conveys the idea of somebody cowering in fear and maybe hiding in a storm sh shelter and hoping that the danger will pass soon. But let's not forget that a couple of these things that we're supposed to gear up with are offensive weapons. The shield, you could do some damage with a shield and a sword, definitely. 
you can do some damage to the forces of evil that are lurking around you with those things. But again, it's not by your own power. It's by the power that comes from the Lord, by God's Spirit, and the victory that we already know that we have because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so this section ends by saying that once you have geared up for battle, once you are ready to stand your ground and with a solid defense, and as well as you put on a strong offensive fight against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms, the thing you're supposed to do next is pray. Once you're geared up, you don't rush into battle and start swinging your sword around, but the spiritual battle that we fight is one that involves prayer. Listen to the very next verse. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Prayer is an important element. We forget this sometimes in our world of self-help and uh, Jacob realizes he hasn't been a good husband. How am I going to fix this? How am I going to use the resources of the church or use the wisdom that I find in the Bible to fix my own problem? But that really ignores the spiritual battle that's going on. Prayer doesn't. Prayer in our busy self-help world is a hard thing to do, to slow down and to stop to ask for help for the unseen forces of God in the world, a lot of people don't do that because we're so busy trying to solve our own problems. But prayer is important. Prayer is an expression of trust in God. Praying reminds us that we believe that God actually cares about our lives and that he's powerful enough to intervene and to do something to make the changes that we need. So I want us to practice praying together this morning. I don't know what your prayer routine looks like or what your prayer habits are, but I do want to say it's an important component of the spiritual battle that we face every day. My friend Justin, he's got a method of praying. When someone makes a prayer request to him, whether in person or by text, or they send him an email saying, hey, pray for me, he writes it down on an index card. And then he keeps a stack of cards with him, and he goes into his prayer time, and he just kind of files through the prayer cards and prays for these requests one after another. When I pray, I usually go through the email that's sent out of prayer requests that people give on Sunday mornings and make sure to pray for the people in the congregation. If somebody asks me to pray for them in person, it usually goes right into my phone. I take out my phone and I put it in my reminder app and it stays there for several days and I'm able to pray for the person in my prayer times. I'm not sure what it is for you, but this might be a good week to develop some prayer habits, or to update some prayer habits that you've had but maybe haven't been doing as much. Spend some time in prayer. Together as a group this morning, I want us to practice this. So we're going to sing a couple songs now. The praise team is going to come back up and lead us in songs that themselves are prayers, asking for God's help and intervention in our lives. But then we're going to have a, a time of about five to ten minutes where I want to invite you guys to break into some groups. You can do this with the people in your row. Just turn to one or two people next to you and pray together as a group. I'm going to put some prayer prompts up here on the screen. You're going to see those. You can use those. If you don't want to pray as a group, if you're, you're more of an individual prayer, you're not comfortable wording prayers within a group of people, that's fine. You can do this silently. You can do this as an individual. But for the next several minutes after these songs, we're going to do what this passage prescribes. And that's pray all sorts of prayers on all occasions. And we're going to flex our spiritual muscles by practicing prayer. I want to invite you to do this with me now.